bringing you the best stories, best trends, and best games from the best conference. Fourth and Manageable, an SEC football podcast. Now, here's John Chuckery and Ashley Holder. Welcome into Fourth and Manageable. My name is John Chuckery. She is Ashley Holder, and we welcome you into where we're brought to you by Odyssey. We ask you to hit that auto subscribe button, download the Odyssey app. We are available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Check us out on the Odyssey app today. And today on the show, we're going to get into my thoughts about Georgia. I want to kind of make a proclamation that I've been talking about over these last couple of weeks. Plenty of talk about the Heisman Trophy, which is coming up this weekend. And we'll take a look at the state of the SEC programs. And Ashley, I want to start with this. I said this about a, a week ago. So when I moved to Atlanta in 1993, I was always told about the sleeping giant that was the University of Georgia. Now, obviously, they won the national championship in 1980. Herschel, Vince Dooley. I remember all that. I watched all that. I got all that. When I moved to Atlanta, everybody talked about this is the program that if they ever get their act together, can be at the top of the mountain. And you heard it for so long. Like when I moved to Atlanta, Ray Goff was the coach and then Jim Donnan. And there were some good things. But when Mark Richt got there, that's when the program really kind of took off, right? And they started getting back into the SEC championship business. But they still could not get over that hump into the national title picture. Close. I mean, they they finished the one year under Mark Rick, number two in the nation. They came in as preseason number one after they'd beaten Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. But Mark Rick's program kind of fell off a little bit, right? And so yeah. they let Mark Rick go. And, and I was one of the people that, honestly, I had said I was not in favor of moving on from Mark Richt. I still thought that the program was in good shape and that he could get this thing fixed and turn around. But I'll first admit, I was completely wrong because what I've said, when you see this program now, they have now surpassed everybody, including Bama and Clemson. Georgia's the best program in the United States right now. Kirby is the best coach in America right now. And what they've done these last two years as they're set up to make another national title run, this is basically the best run that Georgia's ever had in its program history. Yeah, exactly. Everything that you said is right. You look at Georgia, right? The, the team before, they were trying to do exactly what this year's team is doing, right? Going 13 and 0. It hasn't what has it's the first time in history of that program that it's that it's happened, right? And I think right there, that's hard to do, just to go straight undefeated the entire way. They obviously played some tough teams not really they've been able to just kind of scoop past most most of these teams but yeah I mean what people are calling them basically the new Alabama we knew eventually Nick Saban and them were probably going to be on their I don't say downfall because they're still a very good team but they weren't going to be that pillar anymore and Georgia is that team that now that is finally there yeah they do have a couple of more you know titles before they get to you know exactly where Alabama is but they're it's the it's all about trajectory right and what what else can you say about a team like this? Two the defending national champs. They've since Kirby's been there, they've been to two. They've won one, lost one. So I mean, they're they're just on a really good trajectory. It's very. Um, I mean, you kind of look at them. Well, who's going to beat them? And I guess this year, the, their answer is nobody. You know, I went to Tennessee, so I was really hoping. I had high hopes. Now, <laughs> and high hopes. I still believe if we would have played them at home. Maybe something would happen, but uh, yeah, that that was they're just they're an awesome team, man. I mean, you look at the NFL draft. What it said that they set a record for the most picks in the single NFL draft. Yeah, they sent 15, 15 players yeah. to the NFL draft last year, this past spring. So, I mean, how crazy is that? Like, this is a team where everybody wants to go. Is it now just Bama in, in Georgia where, you know, you look at these top recruits are going, or are they going outside? But for sure, that first pick is definitely now now Georgia. Well, I think you look at you look at the the elite, and I mean tippy top of the mountain of recruiting that Kirby Smart does. You know, last year was the number one pick in the draft. There's a really good chance they're going to have the number one pick in the draft again with Jalen Carter. I mean, he's that dominant of a player. So the recruiting is there. You're bringing in all the kids that you want. There's no fall off on that. And, and we saw a few years ago that Clemson was really at the top of the mountain. I mean. And Alabama's had its consistency over this Nick Saban run. The funny part is, you know, Saban started off six and six 
losing to, what was it, Louisiana Monroe in his first year at Alabama. And the funny part was, on that first Nick Saban team, you know they did not have a player that was picked in the NFL draft following that season? There wasn't a single Alabama player hmm. drafted. Now it's, you know, their whole roster every year is the first right. round draft pick out there. But if you look at where Kirby's got this program, there's no step back. They they can dominate their their side of the division, even with Tennessee and Florida and everybody else. Those teams have kind of moved up and down at times. Tennessee obviously had a remarkable year, but we'll see what the post-Hendon Hooker era looks like. But when you look at everything, facilities are in place now. The recruiting is in place now. The money's all flowing in. Everything that you need to have your program at the top of the mountain is what Georgia has right now. Yeah, I mean, this team hasn't lost a regular season game, what, since 2020? I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of crazy to be able to say something like that. And for, But you know what? When you talk about recruiting, once you have a – you've been able to put a team – I don't want to say on top of the mountain, but you know, they're a high pillar team. It, recruiting doesn't become that hard anymore. Like I don't right. want, I don't like to think that Kirby is not saying he's not out in his, his scouts or whatever, or not out working hard, but come on at this point, if you're four-star, five-star, you want to go to Georgia nine, nine times, eight times out of 10, that's where you want to be. So I kind of feel like, you know, when it comes to that, th that's where people are hoping like, has Georgia reached out? Has Georgia talked to me? Has, you know, things like that. Like, I feel like they're, they're that big of a school where now that you have all those things. And then once you're winning national championships, like you said, facilities and all that, all the money is going to be consistently rolling in. And like you talked about the consistency with Alabama, that's what Georgia has been doing. I mean, they've been consistent. You're looking for a team to just hopefully be able to knock them off. You know, it was able to happen last year, at least as regular season, you know, but you're, you're, like now you're you're just you're trying to just you're looking to beat Alabama right now you know they're beatable okay now it's like all right you're the SEC you got to knock off Georgia it's just you you have everybody gunning for you at this point just like how Alabama was well I think there's two things too geography plays a role in it like for instance I can walk out my front door pick up a rock off the ground throw it as far as I can and I'll hit a half a dozen four and five star kids in this town I mean when you look at Atlanta, the state of Georgia, in the football landscape of things, there aren't three states better in the country for high school football and the recruiting. So you're in a massive hotbed. If you just if you just keep some of the top kids home, you're going to be at the top of the mountain from a recruiting standpoint. The other part of this is, is checking off all of the things that previous administrations and coaches in the program couldn't do. So, you know, Look, Kirby's early mantra was they can't beat Alabama. They can't get past the Alabama hump. Well, they took care of that. Well, they don't play as well in the big games. Well, start with the Oklahoma Rose Bowl where they beat Oklahoma and got themselves in the national title game and then couldn't beat Alabama. Every time that they've had one of those things that needed to be checked off of where their resume is, they've done that now. Now, now they've beaten Alabama. They've gotten to the playoffs. They've won a national title. And it's why they're the betting favorite right now. And look, they're going to play at home. I mean, that's pretty much what this game is. The Peach Bowl is going to be playing Ohio State at home. Um, they're a, a touchdown favorite right now in the game. And I don't care if they play Michigan or TCU. They're going to be a favorite when the national title game is played as well. You, you start getting into back-to-back -back national champions. You think about how few coaches even have one. I think there's only, what, five active coaches in college football that actually have a national title. How many guys have two? I mean, that's Saban and Dabo. That's it. And, and if you get into that stratosphere now, you look at everything. This program is not going away anytime soon. And yeah. I will say Kirby's been the best hire in college football really in the last decade in, in, in the sport. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about um... – Gosh, it just went out of my head. What was the last thing that you just said about Kirby? But yeah, Kirby has obviously been very good for um, this program, obviously, since he's arrived in, arrived in 2016. I mean, what else more can you ask about him now? Can we go? You can have another conversation on why he didn't win the coach of the year, right? I, I You go back and forth on 
Heibel did a lot for Tennessee too, as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Considering of what they where they were just a couple of years ago. But I'm also hey, and by the way, I'd vote. My vote would go to Josh Heupel for coach of the year. Oh, hundred per hundred because I, I, nobody saw this coming from from Tennessee this year. And for how many kids left that program for mm -hmm. when he got there and where they are now? I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But you know, Kirby obviously has been very good for where they've been able, where he's been able to lead those guys and stuff like that. But more than numbers and stuff like that. I, being able to talk to some of the guys um, from what I've got is the sediment is they just actually believe in, believe in Kirby. Right. I feel like yeah. as a former athlete, you have to be able to believe in your coach. You have to believe and in, in buy into what he's saying and what he's preaching. And as well as like all your line coaches, whatever, what your position coaches, whatever it, it might be, you know, and I feel like they actually believe this guy and they know with, with this program, they want to win a national championship. They want to go far because some of these guys are going to get out three years, to, you know, they're going to do their time and then they're going to go for, for the most part, you know? So I feel like with all that, they, they really buy in for what Kirby's been able to do. And then obviously you can go into the numbers and just look from what he's, you know, been able to do with the two national championships, like you said, back to back and not losing a regular season game in over two years. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many, I can say they've played in five sec championships, winning two, you know, and then losing two. Like, I mean, how, 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 how do you even compete with that? Not compete with that, but how, I mean, what do you say about that? Of course, he's an amazing coach and, um, you know, but they talked a lot about, you know, who, who was not a predecessor. He wasn't a predecessor of him, but who did he, who was kind of a mentor to him? Well, yeah, like, Kirby spent a decade with Nick Saban. In Nick Saban, right. Well, I mean, yeah. it's like, like how many times we're going to talk about Andy Reid and Nick Saban leading the way for how many different coaches in the NFL and in, in college football. Right. So it, again, it's just like, Nick Saban is like a just a tree with all these branches of coaches that have, you know, been under him and been able to to take his philosophy and go far. And I think Kirby is just I mean, he's probably the one that's taken off one of the top three that have taken off and done very phenomenal with it. It's interesting you say that, too, because that was going to be my next point. So they are now also becoming the destination for assistant coaches to come to. You know, Todd Munkin is a Broyles Award finalist for this year. There's a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent convinced he's going to be back next year because I think somebody either in the NFL or a smaller coaching job will pull up Todd Munkin and, and pull him in there. So he's either going to be an NFL coordinator or he's going to get a head coaching job sooner than later. Dan Lanning, we saw their defense coordinator last year. He was out in Oregon. He got a top, you know, a premier program. He got a power five program. They brought in Will Muschamp. I mean, look, they're going to become the next I don't want to say resurrection program the way that Bama has been, but this is also a destination spot for assistant coaches. Because if you come to Georgia and you do well, you, you see it already with NFL scouts. They pull all of the Georgia players. Well, guess what? NFL teams, power five programs, they're going to pull all those assistants and put them in place. Just like, just like Nick Saban, even Dabo Sweeney. I mean, though one of the things that set those guys apart is, how good their staffs have been. You know, Brent Venable spent a lifetime there. That Kirby was uh, 10 years with, with Nick Saban in Alabama. You have to have that great staff that goes along with it to help you with recruit, not just with your day-to-day -day coaching, but your recruiting and everything else. But this is now a destination spot for assistant coaches in the country. And you talk about that being a uh, destination spot. You know, when you talk about Alabama, though, you know, what does that look like with without Nick Saban, right? Does right. is he leaving? And, and then I have a very lot of questions. I have a lot of questions of why he's leaving, right? I'm okay, he might want to he actually might want to retire and live his life, be with his family, whatever. But is it also because he realized that Alabama is no longer granted, they are still a very good team, they're still in the top and whatnot, but they're beatable, right? They're not going to the national championship, they're not, they're not in the playoffs, things like that. So is it is it now like okay, well, you know, it's the uh, it's time for me to go. Uh, granted, you will never know, but. Well, I'll tell you what, Nick Saban will coach as long in Alabama as Miss Terry lets him coach at Alabama. I mean, that's, I mean, his wife, Terry, I mean, when she says, okay, Nick, it's time to come home and, and hang it up, that's when it'll happen. I mean, that, and I'm not saying that in a minimalist way, but that's just the relationship that they have that when, when she says it's time to come home, that's how, that's when it'll be time for Nick. Well, I guess home. Tom Brady didn't listen to that one. huh? Well, no, no. Tom Brady's got <laughs> a lot of other, things. Tom Brady should have learned his lesson the first time around when he was with his supermodel <laughs> girlfriend and all that uh, actress and all that kind of stuff. Basically. But anyway, um, but no, I mean, you know, to your point, you know, 
Nick Saban is the second oldest coach in the country. Now, Mech Brown is the oldest coach in the country right now. You know, you always wonder about how long those guys are going to go. But you look at where Kirby is right now. And, and I've asked this question. I'll ask you this. He wins another national. Let's say Kirby wins the national title this year. Vince Dooley is considered the best coach in the history of Georgia football. Before Kirby Smart, Mark Richt was the second best coach in the history mm -hmm. of football. I believe Kirby's the second best coach in history of Georgia program. How far away is Kirby from being, if he wins another national title, is it too early to call him the best coach in Georgia history? Does he have to stay around a little bit longer? Because I will tell you, in his short amount of time, he's done just about everything that Vince Dooley did in a much longer period of time. The Natties, the SEC titles, I mean, he's done everything in a more compressed time than even Vince did at the University yeah. of Georgia. Well, I think he's definitely already up there with him, but I think he would have to stay a little bit longer. I mean, if you go to the national championship this time around and you win it back to back, I mean, that's you're you're already up there, right? You're you're already up there now, but you've already surpassed that. But if if you do that, you know, they're already still a, a top pillar team. That why why stop, right? You gotta you gotta keep right. going. I mean, right. it's, it's a possible chance for them to three peat, four peat, like. You, you you just don't you just really don't know but the way that he's going the, the guys that he's bringing in the way that they're buying in the numbers that they're putting up I mean and with with the good quarterback right they can make it happen so it would be way too early I think for him to definitely not to bow out but yeah he's I think he he definitely can can pass Dooley I just think you know when you look at back in the day people respect that guy so much right so it's well, like so, you know it's so much it's so much history with that right. so, when he died i said that actually there, there are so few of those guys left a lot and i hate to say it this way but there are not a lot of those kind of legendary guys alive in the yeah. world of college football i mean there just aren't those kind of you know the bo Schembecklers and the vince dooleys and those kinds of people those personalities aren't just there anymore like the sport is missing some of that personality um and that was the thing about vince was just you know he you know again he transcended the program he was an athletic director for georgia you know he was below i mean there's so many things about all of that so all right i want to switch gears let's get into some heisman talk here as speaking of georgia their quarterback going to be one of four folks that are up in uh new york for the heisman ceremony were you surprised that Stetson finished in the final four? Because this is about the voting process. Surprised that he's going to be there this weekend over your guy? Well, okay. So I don't even know if we're talking about, like, I am I have nothing to say about Stetson. So you don't even have to talk to me about that. But we can talk about Hooker all day long. And I think it's, I mean, I think it just says so much about this crooked whack process, to be honest with you. Like this guy is first in the SEC quarterback to be named what the SEC offensive player of the year, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions and led the country. Like what, what are we talking about? And because what he got, he, he had a season ending, ending injury. What now we throw him completely out or, you know what I mean? These, these, these type of things like, like that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, he had a tough schedule, missed one game, one game. And that's what basically everyone is saying, which not as everyone's saying, what is proving this is, is this is why he's out of, you know, didn't get a trip to New York. I mean, I think it's crazy um, that he wasn't, especially because they said Bennett wasn't even a, what, second team all SEC quarterback this season. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, what are we well, I, I'll even, I mean, throw in, I mean, look, I, me personally, I don't have a problem with Stetson Bennett being up there. He's not going to win the Heisman. Caleb yeah. Williams is going to win the Heisman. But it wasn't just Hooker. I mean, Blake Corum, I mean, who was top three in the nation in running the football, mm -hmm. you know, he was, he got hurt in the Illinois game, the second to last game of the year. He did play some in the first half, got hurt, couldn't play in the second half. He had two or three carries against Ohio State. But you're talking about the best running back in the nation was Blake Corum of Michigan, who, if he had done anything against Ohio State, would be up in the up in New York for the Heisman ceremony. So it felt like that there were some guys, Hooker, Corum, guys that got hurt. I mean, even, you know, Drake May did not play well at the end of the year, but, you know, there were guys that got penalized for their end of season the way it ended, whether it was you had a bad game or you got hurt and got eliminated, and it opened the door. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, the four guys that are up there, Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, Max Dugan, Stetson Bennett, 
I don't really have too much of a problem with them being up there, but at least come out and say that Hooker's injury, Corum's injury, that's what is keeping them out of it. I mean, fair or unfair, at least tell me that. At, at least be transparent about exactly why those guys are not up in New York this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, like I never understood the process of the Heisman because sometimes I just feel like is it – sometimes I think well, one person, it might just be clout. The other person, it might be actually – talent right not saying that they're not good like you said they're they're all they're all great players up there but I definitely think a couple of people were snubbed again obviously I I definitely believe that hooker is one for sure um but I I mean I just don't understand the process I really I really can't say anything past that because I just don't understand how how they go about making some of these um decisions especially when you talk about the two people that you brought up um, when it comes to injuries or even not playing as good towards the end of the season. I mean, you have to look at the whole season collectively. You can't just look at all the way at the end of, okay, well, how far did their team go? Right. Well, okay, a bowl game is still obviously very far. You're still playing at least one more. And obviously it's difficult as hell to get in this whole college football playoffs, regardless of however they not expanded, expanded, whatever. It still, it still doesn't make any – that still doesn't make any sense to me either of how sometimes – some of these teams have gone, especially Alabama the last year or two, but um, it just, it, it really doesn't make well, any there, sense. There is, there's always been a pattern in the Heisman from the standpoint of top players on top teams always get the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the, exactly. the, the, the Robert Griffiths and the, and the Lamar Jacksons are few and far between. And even Lamar had a really good, I mean, his team had a pretty good year. But most of the time, let's be honest, especially even the last handful of years, you're you're looking at having to be one of the national championship caliber programs. I mean, CJ, I'll be honest with you, CJ. I mean, I love CJ Stroud and I watch a lot of I'm I'm from Ohio originally and I watch a lot of Ohio State football and follow the program pretty closely. But there are plenty of moments that he had where, yes, he looked like the best quarterback in the country. And there were times when his offense could barely get anything going against Northwestern, who's the worst power five program in the country. So, yeah. You know, everybody has their ebbs and flows. I really do think, though, this is all about for Hooker and Corum that it's all about their injuries because it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say, okay, who were the best four or five players that I watched in college football this year? Well, Hooker and Corum would be two of the guys, you know, up there with Stroud and Caleb Williams, stuff like that. And I and I know it sounds like it's knocking Stetson Bennett, but I think where Stetson Bennett where where Stetson Bennett benefits, if you will say that five times real fast, but where he benefits is he's the winning quarterback on the best program in the country. And I think that there is something to that. And look, his numbers aren't pedestrian. I mean, he, he's got good numbers and, and, you know, he's, you know, he's had some of the the top numbers for a Georgia quarterback, but his numbers are even down a little bit from last year, but I think he's getting the benefit of, okay, he's the winning quarterback for, the best program in the country He's doing there something. Is, yeah. There is something to that, right? Like, like you can't just, you can't just throw in some ham and agar off the street and say, go be 29 and one over the last two years. Right. I mean, there, there is something to being the winning quarterback for a program like Georgia. Oh no, absolutely. And, and, and because of that program is why he gets that notoriety and why he is getting an invitation to New York. Yes, he has good numbers, but like you said, they're not astronomical. They're not anything ridiculously crazy. They're a little bit down from the season before, but again, when you go on a team that is 13 and O and that is undefeated, you've got a little bit of something to do with that. Right. And yeah. you get a lot of clout from it. Right. Because they're, they're, they're very good. And that is what it is. I mean, that's, that's the world today. So, I mean, he's, He's his 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 yards are up. He's thirty five hundred yards. His touchdowns are down from twenty or twenty nine last year to twenty this year. He's also got almost two hundred yards rushing, and he's got seven rushing touchdowns. So he's accounted for twenty seven touchdowns and about thirty five hundred yards. So you know, again, I still believe Hooker needs to be. Should I know, and I mean, look, in, in hmm. today's world, Ashley. I mean, most of your quarterbacks that are at the Heisman. You know, over the last few years you're pretty much having to be a 4,000 yard, 40 touchdown quarterback. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty much where, I mean, the reason Lamar wins it, even though his team is not national title contention is he's his 55 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? He's a 50 plus touchdown player. Like you have to have some of those gaudy numbers. 
I just don't know that there were enough of those guys this past year. And again, just be transparent. If if Hooker and Corum's injuries are why they're not there, then just if you're the voters, just say that. Just say that. Yeah, yeah. Because we're talking about one game, though. Right. And that's and that's not. I mean, I'm not disputing you. I'm, I'm with one you. game. That's that's wild. Like that's a tough. I would rather that they just say that. Like, just I, I would feel a lot better. Yeah. Tell. Be transparent about why those guys aren't there. Like why those yeah. two guys aren't. There. I, like I said, I've got no issue with Stetson being up there. He was an early favorite, and, and I and I do think that as the season has progressed, that he's getting the benefit of the doubt for being with that program. But if Hooker and Corm aren't there. Just tell me why. Just say that they're hurt and they can't be up there and whatever. I mean, yeah. I, I just be transparent with me about yeah. why those guys aren't there. Yeah, exactly. Completely. I mean, it may again, what did I say in the beginning? I mean, the, the process <laughs> makes him absolutely now, no now sense. With that, who's gonna win? Who do you think is gonna win on Saturday? Um I don't know. I don't know. I I, I I think it's going to be Caleb Williams, even though he lost his last game. He did play well. He had a bad pick in that game. Did play well, though. It was still over 300 yards. I know it won't be Stetson, though. You know, you but say there's that, a chance. Though. There, there, there is a chance, though. I mean, and again, I just think because the team is 13, though, they're 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 on top. Right. They're phenomenal. That it can, I, I think Max Dugan is the one guy I can guarantee you won't win the award. I think he's the one guy of the four. TCU's quarterback, I don't think he's going to win the award. Mm-hmm. But it was Stroud's award to run away with earlier in the season. He should. He was the front runner, and it came up kind of short at the end. I, Caleb Williams, his last game is a loss in the Pac-12 championship game. Your last memory of Stetson Bennett is, and he, you know, him 50 to 30. Georgia, yeah, him leading Georgia to the yeah. SEC championship. Whether that's fair or not, well, I mean, you can argue whether that's fair or whatever. That's your last memory of oh, yeah. watching Stetson Bennett is him leading that team to an SEC champion. And, and that's why I say it's it, it, you could look at optics up everywhere going, like I said, from beginning to end, 13 and 0. He's had some decent games in there, right? He's been like the 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 little saving light for Georgia. Then you finish it off, go oh, make him the Heisman, and then they turn around and go win the, the national championship. I mean and Come by the on way, now. Oh, yeah, this was the only team in program history to do this, and they had the Heisman, and they won the national championship. And his For the optics, it just looks good. So right. they probably will 20, give it to Stetson. He was 23 of 29 for 274 yards and four touchdowns in the game. So, I mean, it's not like he just – it's not like that they – he threw for 120 yards. And yeah, like just he didn't do of, anything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he hucked it around. He put up big numbers, and that's your lasting impression, which, look – Right. I mean, that's that's human nature is the last thing that you see is the thing you're going to remember most out of all of it. I'm with you, though. Like I would have had quorum. I would have had Hooker up there. I know now that they only take four players based upon the vote, stuff like that. But to me, those two guys deserve to go without. without, Oh, yeah. One question about both those guys being up there. Yeah. One thousand percent. They definitely do. And, And. it's tough. Like I'm, I'm excited to see where Hooker comes back to for, for or what he does next year, because he 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 has he has really great potential, and I haven't seen a quarterback like that at at Tennessee in a long long time. Um, but what Stetson reminds me of, I do have to say this, he gives me off real Baker Mayfield vibes. So Ooh. that's how I feel. You know, yeah. I've met Stetson. Baker Mayfield looked like that man in college, okay? And then he went to the league, and he was not that man. Well, he was doing all yeah. right, but then we see. You know, you know, Lamar Jackson and Stetson are born in the same year. That that's how old Stetson Bennett is. Both those guys. Oh were wow! I, I didn't don't think I knew that. You know, I I met Stetson and interviewed him at, at SEC Media Days, and he really is a good kid. He when you see him, he doesn't look like he's a national championship Heisman caliber quarterback. Right. When you talk to him, though, you know he's got the confidence. He's got that air about him. When you talk to him. You can understand why this this team believes in him and, and rallies around him the way that they do. And his teammates love him. I mean, I talked to Nolan Smith and some of the other guys. They love Stetson. I mean, they love everything about mm-hmm. it. And and he's a good story, right? I mean, he's in his sixth year at, at, at Georgia. He's a good story that goes along with it. I mean, he's not a bad kid. He's not in trouble. He doesn't do anything. He's a good – like, I promise you, there's going to be a lifetime movie at some point made about Stetson Bennett. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's going to be a, there's going to be a movie, you know, one of these, you know, like these football movies, you know, about these players. Yeah. The, the What was the what was the Mark Wahlberg one about the Eagles player? And all. Oh, be, Vince, Vince, uh, Polly, Vince. Vince. Yeah. 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 So there's there's going to be a movie about Stetson Bennett. He wins back to back national championships. And you think yeah. about where he was just even two years ago. There's going to be a whole movie made about his life and the. Mm-hmm transformation and resurrection out of yeah. all of it. I mean, and I think that's also boy. what's going to make him look super along with the, with the talent he does have. And even if they do go in or not, um, he will still look very attractive to NFL coaches. Yeah, no doubt this, about this it. I mean, six year, the way he's been able to advance, the way he's been able to improve, like you said, and those good attitudes and, and things like that. People love being around him. He's just going to look like a, just little packaged up nice present for them. Yeah, I mean, you you have to have the measurables in the NFL first and foremost, but coaches also want winners. Coaches also want guys who can lead and win and things like that. So, yeah. all right, um, let's get into, so as we start to get into bowl season, we're still a couple of weeks, 10 days or whatever like that before the SEC itself gets into a bowl game schedule. But I wanted to, wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the state of where some of these programs are. I think the SEC's got some interesting matchups in the bowl season, I want to kind of go through this. This you, you want to you want to start off with the most important one, or what's that? Okay, well, I mean, we can, the Orange this. Bowl. Oh boy! Well, look, <laughs> what are you talking about? There's plenty of orange down there. I know that. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, a crap! It's not gonna. It's gonna look awful. First of all, so, yeah, yeah. I, and then you listen. already got Miami that's in there too, and, and my, the Hurricanes and the Dolphins. That, that's just too much orange in one place. Can we agree that Tennessee does not need to wear those helmets that they wore against South Carolina, though? Yeah, Did we you can like those that. helmets against South Carolina. No, no. I'm all, I'm I'm all about. I'm all about the the classic, right? Just keep it classic. I, I have a big I have a big issue when blue blood programs start going with the crazy uniform. Tennessee's gone with the black. Georgia's done the black. Ohio State's done the. So like, Tennessee's been doing that black for a while because even when I was in school, they did do those blackouts. But it was just simple the black and the black and orange, right? It wasn't like they never had the gray. They never had any of that. No, I don't like no, that. But they no. did do the blackout game, and that was only on Halloween. That was the only yeah, time that, that, that that worked out real well for Georgia when they tried to do that against Alabama and got curb stomped uh, for right. But let's let's yeah. kind of go in this order. Let's start with with the with the programs as we go into early part of the bowl season. So Florida will be the first program up. We saw that Anthony Richardson is going to turn pro. Don't know if he's going to play in this game, you know, or not. Wasn't a bad year for Billy Napier in his first year. Their defense has got a lot of work. I do think, though, that the arrow trends upward with what Napier did. Yes, he's going to lose his NFL quarterback and all that. But if he can recruit those kids, there's – there's no reason to think that Florida isn't sort of on the uptick, at least the way I see it. They ran the football well. They got to get a little bit better on defense. You expect more skilled people at Florida than what they had. But I feel like Napier did a pretty good job, and I think at least he satisfied some of the Florida fans. But think about it, they beat Utah in the first game of the year on All their right. home field. So I, I think he did enough good things that, as a Florida fan, you should feel pretty good about going into bowl season and beyond. Yeah, for sure. But they're also playing a team, you know, um, for 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 them that, you know, hasn't won a bowl game since 20. I think they said 2013. So, I mean, they've got a lot. They, they've got a lot to prove as well, you know, as far as the Oregon, Oregon State side. And, you know, you like those. It's actually a very good well. team, by the way. Oregon State's a very yeah. sneaky. Oregon State's a sneaky, good football team. They're a very good defensive team. But they are. I mean, this is two teams. And they're winless against SEC right teams, so I think they want to change right. that now too. So yeah. there's a couple of stuff on the line. Um, obviously for Florida, but I think a little bit more for Oregon State, if I it, like, in my opinion, right? Just for a little bit more bragging rights and um, the fact that you know they haven't they haven't won one since 2013. That's that's a that's a pretty decent long stretch. So let's look at Missouri. Um, you know, Eli Drinkwitz to me is the next guy that would be most likely to get fired in the SEC. If I start picking, putting down, now that Auburn's had their coaching change and things like that, I, I think even more than Jimbo, and I'll, I'll we'll talk about Texas A&M because I, I have a theory about Jimbo, but I think Missouri's a program that is starting to get lost in the shuffle. I, I think Eli Drinkwitz is a guy who is most, if you start putting together coaches, most likely to be let go in the SEC. I think even more than Jimbo, I think Eli Drinkwitz is at the top of the list. Yeah, 
I, you know what? I won't even act like I know I've watched much of Missouri because I have not. But yeah, agree with you. <laughs> so, um, Arkansas, this is another program that I love Sam Pittman. He is a fantastic guy, but this is two years in a row. Which they probably didn't want to, did see that one. They probably didn't want to lose to Arkansas at the end right. of that season, which allowed Missouri to become bowl eligible. So, this is two years in a row, though, for Arkansas, where they've gotten off to really good starts and then just stumbled to the finish line. And this is this is two years in a row. I don't know if that's personnel. I don't know if that's players. They, they've got a lot of good players. Look, Will Anderson might have been the, the defensive player of the year in the SEC, but that kid that plays defensive line for them was maybe the runner-up in, in mm-hmm. the conference. They've got some personnel. Quarterback's pretty good. The running game has been really good. But this is two years in a row where it just feels like they've really just kind of stumbled down the stretch. Yeah. I love Sam Pittman. I think he's the right guy for that job. But they got to start to learn how to close games versus, mm-hmm. you know, they get off the three and one, four and oh starts. And last year, Georgia took their soul after they were four and oh, and they never yeah. recovered. And it seems like they didn't recover again this year. Yeah, they have been kind of a little bit more of an up and down program and they have to find that consistency, like you were saying, but they do have those pieces that are there to get it together. But I think, man, when you're in the SEC, right, you have so much pressure on you already to you're already looking at your schedule, figuring out who you got to play and stuff like that. But, you know, they 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 did have a solid quarterback. They had a decent a decent defense. But like you said, they have to put all those pieces together, all phases of the game to be able to figure out how to close it out because you don't want to be getting getting the to bowl games, like you said, by the skin of your teeth, and then you end up what, like, not saying the Liberty Bowl's an awful bowl, but it's not like the sexiest bowl game out there, right? Well, and you think about they they had LSU on the ropes in, in that game to end the yeah. season, the regular season. They they had LSU beat. They they could have beat LSU. They those two teams only scored twenty three points combined. I think it was thirteen ten. I think is what it ended up. But they had them definitely on the ropes. All right, Ole Miss. I. I I think the best thing that happened to Ole Miss is Lane Kiffin staying. I think Lane Kiffin is a better fit at Ole Miss than he is at Auburn. When he's at Ole Miss, he can run his offense. He can do what he wants to do. He's not going to get pushed back. There's not going to be people behind the scenes that that look to try to improve. I think Ole Miss for him is a really good fit, and I think that that is the ideal program in this conference for him to be at. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they said before that they hadn't been, they had been on about four, three or four straight bowl games. And then you look at him coming in and they've been to three straight bowl games. So he's obviously done a really phenomenal job there. Um, You know, again, I'm a little biased against against (laughs) Kiffin. Let's not talk about it. Um, But no, he's done a very good job for Ole Miss. And uh, you you could tell obviously how he's been able to take that. uh, Again, we talk about trajectory, right? They're kind of on, on that right path. They've again, a lot of hard hard games on that schedule, but they've been able to do a pretty good job. And I think that this this bowl game of them with Texas Tech will actually be a pretty decent uh, matchup for that Texas Bowl. You know the the crazy thing about Ole Miss, and and this is where this is where I say Kiffin can do what he wants to do. You know, two years ago they were one of the most prolific passing teams in all of college football. They're now one of the most prolific running teams in all of college football. Like mm-hmm. those Zach Evans who I think is a first-round NFL talent. Judkins was first-team all-conference. You know, they couldn't – I mean, their forward passing game this year looked like it was something from the Second World War. Like, dark guys <laughs> just could not throw the football. But two years ago, when Matt Corral and some of these – and even when they had both – I mean, this is one of the most prolific passing teams in the nation, and they've completely changed their identity. You can get away with that at programs like Old Miss. But mm-hmm. when you start to go – different directions with your offensive philosophy a lot of programs will get you know look georgia southern is a program that as soon as they tried to get away from the triple option and all that people started revolting down there people started yeah. having rallies when brian van gorder wanted to bring in a more modernized offense to georgia southern people threw him out like he was gone like there there are programs that just don't like to go through that old miss is one of those programs that kiffin can do what he wants to do there and he won't get any pushback for it i think that's why he is just such a good fit they're happy if they win seven eight nine games i do think that he stumbled at the end they if they'd won the egg bowl they had a real chance to be a big six bowl game 
team out of all this, but he just seems like a more natural fit there. How long he stays, because you already saw he dipped his toe into Auburn's water, obviously. And I'll be honest with you, that's a matter of Auburn didn't want him. If if, if Auburn wanted him, he'd be there. Right yeah. yeah. Yeah, he'd be there right now. So I, I hope he stays at Ole Miss. I think he's good for the conference. He I probably would have. He probably would do a lot better at Ole Miss than he would at Auburn. I agree. I, and we're going to we're going to talk about that too because I'm I'm with you on all of that. Let's jump over to South Carolina. Look, I I got a chance to see Shane Beamer at SEC Media Days and and talk to him for a minute. I'll run through a wall for Shane Beamer. I, I think mm-hmm. the job that he's doing there, and I think the fact that. Not just what they did against Tennessee, but they were very much counted out the very next week against Clemson. And they yeah. went out there and Spencer Rattler played out of his mind. Now, whether he stays, he goes, he goes to the NFL. I think if I'm spent if I'm advising Spencer Rattler, I tell him to stay at South Carolina because I think he's got the right coach. I think that program is trending in the right direction. They've got NFL talent, even on their defense, they've got NFL talent. I love what Shane Beamer is doing it. And we talk about coach of the year candidates. Kirby, Josh Heupel, those should be your top guys. Yeah. But right underneath, Shane Beamer should be in that discussion yeah. right after those top guys for Coach of the Year in the SEC. Right, and f- for sure, it is a very big uh, chance for the Gamecocks to end this season, like on on a high note. When you look at this Gator Bowl right here, right, so you want to go ahead and go go against this, but this is also two two coaches, like you say, Beamer as well as Freeman, that people love right now because they love him for for Notre Dame as well and what he's trying to do with that program and stuff like that. So I just think that this is actually probably one of those um, highly anticipated matchups that people are actually going to be watching for this one. Tennessee. um, I love Josh Heupel and and I'm an unabashed Josh Heupel fan. Um, I think he's a terrific hire. Um, I, I was very curious to see what Tennessee would be coming into year two. I thought they did a lot of good things and I thought some of that momentum started to change last year. And then obviously they took off and, I understand it, you know, a couple losses late in the season, all that, but it doesn't diminish. I think he's the SEC coach of the year. I think that program is where it needs to be. And look, I'm not just going to say this because I've got you in front of me, but college football is better when Tennessee is a good football program. I think there's nothing but excitement. One of the guys I work with on our college football show, he lives in Chattanooga and I ask him all the time, what's the mood up there? I think this is the first time you feel like maybe since Fulmer, that you feel like the program is on real steady footing moving forward. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Listen, when I was there, we, I, God, we went, we had Dooley, we had Kiffin, we had. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know the other last one that we had that was Butch, there probably. Butch, was it? Was it Butch? Oh yeah, I think Butch was the last one. God, it, it, that's what I tell you right there. I just can't even keep up with mm-hmm. how many coaches are there. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been such a long time, and Tennessee fans are like, everybody will say it's about their school, right? There's those ones that are like, oh God, when? Like, please, Lord, just please, like, not this year. Let's just have a good year. We start off real, real faithful to it, and it doesn't. But I, a lot of props to Hypo, right? And in the, the guys that stayed and the guys that came, because a lot of people left after that program, right? So it was truly right. a rebuilding of that program. So to be able to see what he was able to do in such a short amount of time, and to be able to go ten wins is a very huge, is a very huge thing. And then in the, the quarterback that they were able to get, and when you look at Hooker and stuff like that. But what I love about this matchup is you still have a number six going against a seven. Are really these are two top pillar these are two top teams mm-hmm. in their conference in their own right yes they did not go to the the sec championship but they we don't know what could have happened right if hooker wouldn't have got her we don't know that situation of how that would have looked but these are two top teams and both of them are basically playing their backup quarterbacks right so you got them wanting to lead them if you want to say backup quarterback obviously for uh clemson you know their starting one once he got benched against the tar heels now he's he done entered the portal he's like i'm out of here i'm not i'm not with that but then you also have have, you know, the other, the other quarterback for, um, I just forgot his name for, for Club Tennessee. Nickel. Yeah. Oh, so Club Nick will play for Clemson and then obviously Milton will play for Tennessee. Right. Exactly. So that's, so, so you look at those, those two guys and how they're going to lead their teams in, in, in this huge game, right? Orange Bowl is always a prestigious bowl yeah. to play in. People love going to that bowl. It's obviously bringing in new, the new year and you're in Miami. So I think it's going to be a really like high anticipated um, 
um, game is going to be fun. I'm definitely trying to go. So, you know, John, if you got some hookups, let me know. <laughs> oh, don't I know. wish. You're, you're the crazy <laughs> girl, not me. I we'll just do, we'll do the podcast from, from, um, oh, yeah. From listen, no I, listen, we can do this anywhere we want. Listen, that's the great thing about <laughs> podcasting. I will say this I, I'll give Milton credit because in today's world, most guys would have left that program. Most guys would have transferred out of that program. They'd have hit yeah. the portal and said, Asta lasagna, don't get any on you. I mean, they would not have stayed at a program if they weren't going to start. So I'll give Milton credit that he stayed with the program, believed in it, and he'll get his shot in the Orange Bowl. All right, a couple of teams that, um, you know, are did not have the season that they hoped for. Let's start with AM. This is my theory. If Jimbo starts out two and four next year, and his schedule's not the easiest next year, he starts out two and four next year. I don't be- care. I don't care how much money they owe him. He won't let make it through the season. They start out two and four next year. He will not make it through a full season at Texas A&M. Yeah, at this point, they shouldn't, though. Why would you keep him after that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, getting through the skin of your teeth, even, even lasting this year, to be there's honest. There's an old you. saying that says it, 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 it's too expensive to keep you. It, it, it may be expensive to get rid of you, but it's too expensive to keep you. For our program. And that's where this is going with Jimbo. And and then you also have to look at this right now. um, They lead, I believe they're the top school with the most kids entering the portal. So you also have to look at that. So not only are you putting the pressure on him to win, to win, to win these tough games in the beginning of the season, he's got to rebuild the freaking program too, because all the guys, most of the, if they're leading all schools right now in transfer portal, they don't want to be there. They right. want to go somewhere they're going to win. They want to go somewhere. They, at this point, not even just losing. They probably don't even get along with Jimbo. This is just me. Just I don't know. But you get what I'm saying? So it, he's got a tough task um, in front of him. And to be honest with you, if it's not for the football gods, I don't see him lasting a whole season next year. I think he's gone. It's just about win. Let's move over to Auburn. Um, obviously, they changed their head coach. I met Brian Harson at SEC Media Day, sat down and, and talked with him. He looks the part. I mean, he's a tough-minded guy. Did not work out. I think he was an outsider there. I will tell you, Auburn was smarter to hire Hugh Freeze than they were to hire Lane Kiffin. The better the better hire for that program is Hugh Freeze. And look, yes, Hugh Freeze probably got that job based off a lot of he did beat Bama a couple of times when he was old Miss and things like that. He's quote-unquote paid his penance. Um I think I think Hugh Freeze was the right hire over Lane Kiffin at Auburn. Now let's see if he can get kids in there because their offense was dreadful. Their quarterback play was dreadful. Even Tank Bigsby did not have the kind of season that I think we thought he would have. I think he was an all-SEC. I voted for him first team all-SEC in the preseason. Did not have the kind of year. I think part of that's they didn't feed him the ball, but there is a lot of work that yeah. Auburn's got ahead of him. Yep. You look at that and short and sweet. I mean, they got to be able to rebuild the program and you got to be able to close the gap between your rivals for them, which is again, Georgia and Alabama. Vanderbilt's a program that Charlie lay, I think did a lot of good things. The fact that they went into the final week of the season being with a chance to be bowl eligible. I know they got run by Tennessee, but they had a chance. They at least were a five win team. Look, five, six, seven wins at, at Vanderbilt will keep you there for 20 years if you want. Yeah, I don't think it's too hard to sit there and stay at Vanderbilt for what they're considered to do. They just want they I they, I think they just want a couple wins, man. They stay at around 500. I think they're pretty much happy. Mark Stoops just fired his OC at Kentucky. The problem I have is that and I love Mark Stoops and and I've talked to him before and I had him on the the show a few weeks ago. I think he's a really good coach for that program. But when you have an NFL top 10 caliber quarterback and a first team all conference running back, you have to make some hay with those guys. And I don't think they made enough hay with those guys. I love him. I think he does an outstanding job. But when you get that little blip where everything aligns, you have to take advantage of that. And they just don't they just don't beat enough good teams. I think they're in good hands with Stoops. I just think that when you get those top caliber players in your program, you have to do a little bit more yeah. with them. You just got to make sure that they're that they're making some noise, right? You don't want to just yeah. have them being average players. They got to be the players that they are. And they got to play to their talent, basically. So that's something that we definitely figure out. Mississippi State, we know what their identity is. I think Mike Leach is really good for the conference. If there's one guy that I love seeing in the SEC, Mike Leach is it. He'll surprise a few people. They kind of are what they are. They'll never be, I don't think, as good as what Dan Mullen 
had them years ago. But I think like Mike Leach is the right guy to lead that program moving forward. Yeah, I think they're on a, a good trajectory of trying to figure out. Well, they did really well this year of figuring out who they are, right? And now you just have to build on that. Brian Kelly's another guy that with LSU should be looked at as coach of the year. Obviously, they exceeded expectations. They have an outstanding quarterback. They're going to they be were looking shaky and then got back yeah, on got yeah. back on track. They they are going to be very interesting because obviously they went and got Daniels in the portal from Arizona State. It's going to be very interesting how Kelly uses the portal and things like that to build that team because he's got a national footprint. When you coach at Notre Dame, you've got a national footprint about where you recruit. And I know it's a different type of athlete, but Les Miles in the old days, he owned New Orleans to Houston and especially Houston. He owned that whole area. That's a really good high school hotbed. But I think I think Kelly has the opportunity. He can go further out. And, you know, look, they brought Daniels in from Arizona State. I'm going to be very curious how he used the portal because I don't think that team is that far away from staying at the top of the SEC like they did in the old days with you know Saban, Les Miles, and all those guys. Yeah, I think that they're on the right path right now. They look great, and they have a really good uh, – um, they have a really good task in front of them when you look at their bowl game situation as well. Let's wrap it up with Alabama and Georgia. Um, they're the two top of the mountain programs. Everything is in good shape there. I think the interesting thing about Saban, when you see him on TV politicking for his team to be in the playoff that didn't belong or whatever, eh, we talked a lot about Kirby. It's the best program in the nation. They're good. I, I'm going to be curious to see. I'm always, I'm always wondering, again, how long Saban's got. I've kind of joked about the idea, but I'm not really joking. When Miss Terry says it's time for him to come home, that's when he'll come home. But they're still at the top of the mountain, them and Georgia, when it comes to not just the SEC, but programs in general. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's what else is there left to say about Georgia? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they, I mean, there's nothing else to say left about them for Alabama. I still think they're going to be a top um, top team and still going to be a team to beat. The question is just what do they look like with Saban? What do they look like without Saban? You know, those are all going to be answers that we're now going to or questions we're all going to now get the answer to. The other part of it is they picked up Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech through the transfer portal. I'm going to be curious to see how they do that. Over the last few years, their skill position play has been outstanding. Quarterback, wide receiver, all the guys that have gone to the NFL. Bryce Young's going to be an NFL quarterback. Gibbs had an outstanding season. I'm going to be curious to see if they can keep that momentum of quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running, because that's what their identity is now. They are now an explosive offensive team. With all these run, all these wide receivers that have gone the first round of the last few years, and with Tua and with Mac Jones and with Bryce Young, like yeah. their quarterback play is top tier. This is the best run of quarterbacks Alabama's ever had. Can they keep that pace moving forward? That's what they're going to find out. All right. Well, listen, we appreciate everybody being a part of the show today. We uh, want you to check us out. Download the Odyssey app. Hit that auto subscribe button. Be a part of the community. Make sure you don't miss an episode here. We're all brought to you by Odyssey. She is Ashley Holder. I am John Chuckery, and this has been Fourth and Manifold.